And so last Sunday, um, Mike began this new series, Finding My Way, and he alluded to the fact that we were going to talk about priorities this week. Now, I want you to know that, you know, we, we, we plan, we talk weeks, sometimes months in advance about what series are going to be coming up. And so that wasn't any surprise to me when he mentioned that <laughs> last Sunday. But then I find myself Monday, you know, beginning preparation and, you know, sitting back and thinking, all right, priorities. What are priority? What are priorities? You know, how, how do we prioritize? And what does it look like? What do our lives look like when we prioritize versus perhaps when we don't prioritize? How many of us actually can say, and this is a rhetorical question, how many of us can actually say that we have a list of priorities that we think all the time about priorities? Now, I feel like there's a lot of different kinds of priorities. Priorities can come on an as-needed basis. You begin a busy day and you think about prioritizing the events of the day to accomplish everything. Or, or you begin a big project by prioritizing what you're going to need in order to accomplish that project. Uh, Tina and I recently started a bathroom renovation and I decided that I'm going to do it myself or ourselves. And if you know me at all, that's not me. I'm not a handyman. I've never been a handyman. I don't claim to. And so the first priority was a lot of research (laughs) and a lot of figuring out how I'm going to do this, if I'm going to do this on my own. And, you know, things are a little different in this day and age. Everything's at your fingertips. You can learn how to do things that you've not normally done before. There's a lot of step-by-step videos out there. And Of course, there's a lot of different ways you can do things, so you have to be careful about that. But for us, first priority was knowing what we're going to do if we're going to go ahead and do this ourselves. Um, Sometimes in your work, you can prioritize by the week or by the month, depending on your job. Uh, Teachers, we create weekly lesson plans. And so we think about what we want to have accomplished by the end of the week. And so we prioritize uh, the week so that everything hopefully... (laughs) is finished by the end of the week. Uh, If you're in sales or you're in business, you might consider monthly sales projections that that you'll be able to gauge at the end of the month to determine whether or not you'll find success or failure at the end of the fiscal year. The priorities that we're going to talk about this morning and that are a part of this series are bigger than any of these examples. Aside from the everyday there are what I want to refer to as life priorities that shape who we are, who we want to be, and ultimately what we see for our future. Priorities are determined by what is important to us and by what holds value to us. There was a woman who went to the Super Bowl and she had an empty seat next to her. And a gentleman sitting close by saw the empty seat and was kind of surprised, you know, that a seat went empty at the Super Bowl. And so he asked her, he said, you happen to know whose seat this is? She said, yes. She said, that's my husband's seat, but he recently passed away. And so the gentleman, you know, offered his condolences. And then he said, I have to have to admit, I'm a little surprised that you didn't find another relative or friend who could take that seat. And she responded by saying, I don't understand it either, but they all wanted to go to his funeral. 
so there's a direct connection between commitment and priority. You have to be committed to something in order to make it priority. It has to be something that you're fully committed to and invested in, or it'll never become priority. And ultimately, how well you prioritize and how you prioritize will determine your productivity in life and, and your successfulness. And so I was reading an article this week. It was called, Why You Need Clearly Defined Priorities. And in this article, it said that priorities help us to do these three things. Reduce indecision about where to dedicate my time. Check. It's a good thing. The second thing, structure my day in a meaningful way. And third, easily say yes or no when I get requests from others. And so I read those three things and I was in. I was invested. I wanted to find out more about what this particular author had to say about these three things. And we start by understanding that there is a list of things that we prioritize. And so I put them up here. This is not in any particular order. But these would be examples of things that are priorities in our life. Obviously work, health, God, hobbies, sports, family, friendships, personal growth, money, and our house. They, they all become priorities and, they, and, and each of them in and of themselves have priorities. But our priorities are marked by accomplishments, right? Things we need to complete in order to say that our priorities have been met. If health and wellness is your priority, then you're going to make time in your day to exercise, to run, to walk, to go to the gym. You're going to plan uh, your meals, so you're going to have to decide what you need to get when you go to the grocery store, to make healthier meals, to uh, make better choices in your diet. If you are seeking to be more financially stable, then uh, perhaps paying off bills or putting away more money is on the to-do list uh, for your monthly budget. Some people rely on professionals to be their financial strategists and to help them make them make, help them make the right choices. And then as life changes, our priorities change. And so young couples, when they have their first child, they'll see a quick change in their priorities. And then as your children get older and life changes, you see a change in your priorities. And then... Uh, Couples who suddenly find themselves as empty nesters and grandparents for the first time, which I can't believe that some of my friends, like that's starting to creep into my age realm, um, they find that their priorities have adjusted once again. Life priorities, or the bigger priorities, establish our everyday priorities. And when there's a change, there's a change in what we do. Our behaviors change. And our behaviors are directly connected to what we value and where we place our priority. So as we think about this this morning, I, I want you to think about where are your priorities today? Perhaps what phase of life are you in right now? How, does, how is it affecting your priorities? Could you list your priorities today, if we did that as an exercise. I think some of us go through days, maybe weeks, maybe months, without ever thinking about priorities because we just find ourselves doing what needs to be done 
at the moment. And I, believe me, I know some of you are very organized. And, and you've had this, you've had it figured out for, for years. And I admire that. This is coming from someone who has himself found, been in the place where, you know, you're, you start realizing that you're doing things on the day in and the day out based on what needs to be done. And so what I'm merely suggesting here this morning is that although we understand what it means to prioritize, that sometimes setting our priorities is not always at the top of the list. And so what we're going to talk about and what we're going to consider this morning is why it's important to set priorities in our lives or perhaps reset our priorities to reflect the work of the cross. As we explored the journey to the cross during the season of Lent and we considered uh, the, the love of Jesus that was poured out through his body and through his blood, we mentioned time and time again that it demands a response. And as we consider how we respond, we look at the ways in which our lives should reflect the work of salvation. And one of the ways we can demonstrate a life changed by Christ is by setting our life priorities to help us become the person that we were created to be. So what do we need to do to live a life reflecting the light of Christ? What needs to be priority in our lives in order to make that happen? One of the great mentors in my life was Harry Stevenson. And I know many of you know Harry. Um, If you don't, Harry was former pastor here at St. John's um, many years ago. He left here uh, when he retired in 1995. But we spent a lot of years in close relationship with the Stevenson family, and he became a great mentor to me. And recently, I I was sitting at the dinner table, um, getting into a discussion with my daughter, Maddie, that got deep, topic got deep, and it got theological. And I actually said to her at one point, I said, boy, do I wish Harry Stevenson was sitting at the table right now, because I knew that he would have some of the answers um, to our deep theological questions. And as I was preparing for this morning, I got to thinking, you know, wouldn't it be awesome if, if we could uh, talk to Jesus in person about what he would consider to be the biggest priority in life? You know, like invite him over for dinner and have conversation. And then I began to realize that somebody already did that. And it was recorded in the book of Luke. And it was the story of two sisters, Mary and Martha, who had Jesus for dinner. And in this experience, in this event, something happened that helped us better understand what Jesus would consider to be um, priority in a believer's life. So let's take a look this morning at Luke chapter 10, starting at verse 38. Now, as they were traveling along, and they were were Jesus and his disciples, and we're going to talk about that in a minute, but um, Jesus had had a full day at this point with his disciples, with many disciples. Uh, He entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. And she had a sister called Mary, who was also seated at the Lord's feet and was listening to his word. But Martha was distracted uh, with all of her preparations. And she came up to him and she said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do the serving by myself? Then tell her to help me. But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha. 
You are wearied and distracted by many things, but only one thing is necessary. For Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. Now let me set it up for you. In the verses leading up to this story, as I said already, Jesus had been with his disciples. Jesus actually spent uh, the early part of the day addressing a group of 72 disciples who he was sending out to kind of prepare the way for him. And this is where we get the phrase, um, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And so he tells them to go out into the homes of the people and, and to do life with them. And he instructs them, instructs them on what to say and how to act. And he says, even, even tells them what to do if they're not accepted into their homes and, and into their towns. And then later on in the chapter, he shares the parable of the Good Samaritan in response to a question that came from an expert in the law who asks, how do I inherit eternal life? And after all of this, after what I would consider to be a big day for Jesus, preaching and teaching and and setting an example, he finds himself here in the home of Mary and Martha for a relaxing evening meal. Mary and Martha are the sisters to Lazarus. And so we know from other scripture that um, there's, a, there's a friendship here between these three and Jesus. So Martha wants the dinner party to be just so. I mean, wouldn't you? Jesus was coming to your house for dinner. So Martha's in and out of the cupboards. There's tableware, tableware that's, you know, waiting to be set. All of the food is coming together at the same time. And she only has two hands. And she can't believe that Mary is out there sitting with Jesus and not helping her out. I don't know about you, but I, I can relate a little bit to this moment. Um, Tina and I make a great team when it comes to having uh, people over for dinner. But it would always be my goal to be completely ready so that we can greet them at the door and welcome them into our home and just sit right down at the table and start to eat. It doesn't always happen that way. And I think one of the hardest things for me personally is that um, I don't like it when people watch me in the kitchen. <laughs> Not that I'm doing anything sneaky, I promise, if I invite you over. Um, but I, there's just something about that, you know, uh, particularly on the big days, you know, when you're carving the turkey and you have an audience. That's a little mind-boggling. Um, not mind-boggling, but you know what I mean. And so, so Martha, in this moment, this heated moment where she doesn't know what to do, you know, she doesn't quietly pull Mary aside and, and, you know, grit her teeth and say, hey, Mary, can I talk to you in the kitchen for a minute? No, she goes right out there and says, Jesus, can you believe this, Lord? You know, I'm doing all the work. Don't you care that Mary has left me to get everything finished and have it ready? And you kind of see Jesus with a smirk on his face, thinking to himself, I'm glad you asked, Martha. It's like, Martha, Martha, you are distracted and worried about many things. But Mary has chosen that good part. And that will not be taken away from her. Which I kind of feel like another way you can say that last line is, you will not take Mary away from me. (laughs) Let her have this moment. Let her be in this place where she finds herself right now. Let me ask you a question this morning. When you were getting ready for church... If Jesus was with you, would he have said, why are you so worried and distracted? Notice that the verse says that Martha was distracted. Jesus was in her company and she was too busy with other things. Martha was worried. Martha was distracted. I don't know about you, but this is a feeling that I can relate to. 
It is easy to be distracted by the many things that come up in life. We can be accomplishing a lot of great things and, and keeping on task with what needs to be accomplished to run a household and to get our work done. But when we live day in and day out with this routine, it can feel like, and I know this example has been used from this platform before, but it can feel like you're the hamster running on that wheel in the habit trail. You know, that goes round and round and round, particularly at night, right? If any of you have ever had those animals, they make a lot of noise at night. But look at Mary, the picture of Mary sitting at Jesus' feet. And his interpretation isn't just that she's there, but that she has chosen to be there. She has chosen this posture at this moment. She has chosen to be in his presence. And she was experiencing something that was beyond this world. And just a short distance away, was someone who couldn't put their dish rag down for a second just to appreciate what was right in front of her. Martha was exhausting herself with the busyness of the day. You see, these are two sisters where one had her priorities straight and one did not. And that's bold, but that's the fact that Jesus makes perfectly clear when he answers Martha's question. And he said, there could be no confusion over this response. Mary had the right choice. Mary made Jesus her priority. Mary made getting to know Jesus the most important thing in that moment. So here in these last few verses of Luke 10, we, we, have, we find what I call the, the springboard to what scripture tells us should be our priority. If your relationship with Jesus isn't at the top of your list of priorities this morning, then you're missing what Mary, Mary was experiencing in his presence. Now, don't get me wrong. Martha shouldn't get completely a bad rap in all of this because Martha is serving him. She wants to serve him. But her desire to serve has her so busy that she's missing Jesus. She's missing uh, the one who she chooses to serve because she's so caught up in what needs to be done at this moment. I'm sure that most of you are aware of Carson Wentz's Audience of One Foundation. And the mission of this foundation is, and I quote, to demonstrate the love of God by providing opportunities and support for the less fortunate and those in need, end quote. That's their mission statement. Carson's words about the foundation are this. He says, what does the audience of one mean to us? It means that, that we are playing for an audience of one. When the lights go on and all eyes are fixed on us, our eyes are fixed on Jesus, the creator of the universe. He says it's not a slogan, it's a lifestyle. Living for him playing for him and giving him all the glory. And he says, win, lose, or draw, I play for an audience of one. What about you? And so Mary in this scene is playing for an audience of one. Mary's eyes are fixed on Jesus. Mary was in the presence of the creator of the universe. And when we talk about our priorities, they might differ depending upon where we are in life. But as believers, 
We have to all have the common priority of developing and maintaining a relationship with Jesus. Jesus, the author of our salvation. This is how we respond to the love that was demonstrated to us on the cross. We live a life in relationship with Jesus. And as part of that relationship, he changes us. And regardless of our personal priorities, the things that we place value in and the things that we become committed to revolve around that very relationship. Paul talks about a one thing in Philippians chapter 3, uh, verses 13 and 14. He says, brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in, in Christ Jesus. So Paul set out to do God's will in his life, regardless of the cost. He wanted to continue on the path that was laid before him to focus on the work of the Lord. It was his life work. Now, we've said this before. We're not all called to be missionaries. We're not all called to be preachers of the word. But we are, like Paul, called to keep the focus on God. And what he has laid out for us, whatever that might be. So whatever our call is in life, it should be carried out in such a way that we keep our eyes on Jesus and continue in the path that leads to eternal life in the kingdom of heaven. The one thing here is the focus that Christ calls us to. Whatever path you're on in life right now, the one thing that is most important is that you keep your eyes on what lies ahead. And we can't leave the scripture without also talking about taking your eyes off of what is left behind. Now this could be a whole separate topic. But it needs to be said that a lot of times our past can separate us from that relationship with Jesus. Our failures can create a burden that is so heavy that it weighs us down and it makes us feel unworthy or useless to the cause of Christ. So this morning I ask you, what is God's will in your life? And are the things that are taking priority in your life right now keeping you in his will? Or are they reflecting your own wants and desires? When we're in relationship with him, there's a shift in our priorities that keeps us in his will and focused on the path that he has chosen for our lives. Now, many years prior to the scene with uh, Mary and Martha and Jesus, David can be found pondering this one thing that we're talking about this morning. These are his words in Psalm 27.4. One thing I ask from the Lord, he said, and this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. David just wanted to be in God's presence and experience all the benefits of a relationship each and every day. And you know, one com commentary makes, it, uh, makes the point that this is, 
This is Old Testament. This is before the new covenant. This is before the new promises. This, this is before the amazing grace that was demonstrated on the cross of Calvary. David is just seeking God's will for his life with the understanding that this is all that he needs. Even before the salvation of the world, David was seeking an intimate relationship that covered every part of his life in such a way that he would rather dwell in the temple of the Lord always. I want to share with you this morning that as I was thinking about this verse this week, I rewrote it as, as a prayer. Lord, allow me the opportunity to be in your presence today, to hear directly from you, to sense the glory and the power that comes only from you. Lord, help me to know you more intimately today than I did yesterday. And may I know you more tomorrow than I do today. David had the desire to know God intimately and to be in relationship with his Lord. Now I'm just going to put this out there because I know a lot of times I like to quote, I like to quote people because my, uh, when someone says it better than I ever could, why not? We should use it. We should include it. And Charles Spurgeon is someone that you've heard me quote many times because he's a great theologian and, and, he's a, and he, he writes a great commentary. And so these are his words. It says, it's been said by someone that the proper study of mankind is man. I will not oppose the idea, but I believe it is equally true that the proper study of God's elect is God. The proper study of a Christian is the Godhead. The highest science, the loftiest speculation, the mightiest philosophy which can ever engage the attention of a child of God is the name, the nature, the person, the work, the doings, and the existence of the great God whom he or she calls the Father. End quote. And so when our relationship with Jesus is our top priority, we seek his will in our lives. We yearn to be in his presence and know our triune God intimately. Think again about the difference between Mary and Martha. Mary's focus was on her relationship with the Lord, while Martha's focus was on her service. They were both doing something that was meaningful to Jesus and that was right in their relationship with him. But Mary demonstrated the priority of spending time with him first. So when we serve him, it comes from the time spent with him, from the time getting to know him and building our relationship with him first. The relationship part comes before the service part. You see, he wants us more than he wants what we do for him. And once we are his, everything that we do, everything that we do in service will be blessed beyond measure. And so once we have this balance of time spent with him and and service with him, we begin to see a connection between this one thing And what Paul talks about, again, in Philippians 4.13, about all things, when he says, and you've heard this before, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Our service for him comes out of the overflow of his strength and grace in us. Again, if we've prioritized the one thing 
in being at the feet of Jesus. Our work, unless we've established that priority of the one thing with being at the feet of Jesus, our work can feel like we're running in circles with nothing to show for it. And so we have to be careful of the all things that Paul is referring to here. In this particular moment, his idea of all things in, is, in a relation, uh, is, is in relation to living, to living for Jesus in every circumstance of life. Think about what Paul went through in his ministry and some of the, the moments that he found himself in, the difficult places he found himself in, and those moments when all he had was whatever he had on his back. And then you have to think about the moments that he had to determine what things to go after and to do and what things that he could left, have left undone. In other words, doing what God desires and doing what he gives us the ability to, ability to do and doing what he leads us in doing. You see, when we prioritize, we recognize the important work that needs to be done versus what may just seem like the urgent task at hand. And so later in the book of Luke, Jesus uses the words, one thing again. He's talking with the rich young ruler. This man is clearly an educated uh, Jewish man who knows the Ten Commandments as stated in the verses prior. And Jesus says this. He says, when, when uh, Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. For all that the young man owned and for the knowledge that he claimed, he lacked the knowledge of eternal life. The one thing missing in his life was the one thing that Mary saw with her own eyes. The one thing that this rich young ruler could not explain or comprehend, David felt in the presence of Almighty God in the temple. And the one thing that was missing in his life was a clear picture of the direction of God laid out for him according to his will. So Jesus told him to get rid of all of that stuff in his life and choose Jesus. All of the invaluable things can be exchanged for the one thing that matters more than anything else. And that's Jesus. Each of these one thing passages that we've talked about this morning point to the same thing. And it's Jesus. The author and finisher of our faith. The one who unselfishly went to the cross specifically so that he could be in relationship with us. And the common denominator between, between what he did for us on the cross and what he expects us to do in return is love. Our relationship with him is solely based on love. Again, I use the words of Paul from the, the, the famous 1 Corinthians 13 when he says that you can have gifts of the Spirit, but if you don't have love, you have nothing. He says you can have faith that moves mountains, but if you don't have love, you have nothing. And he says you can give everything you own to the poor and give yourself to serving, but if you don't do it in love, you gain nothing. And he concludes in verse 13 with, now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. 
Now that was Paul. This is Jesus. When he responds to the Pharisee who asked, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And he goes on to say, love your neighbor as yourself. We get to the very root of this one thing, and it's love. Because we only know love because of him. He defines love. 1 John 4.10 says, This is the love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us, and he sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And so here it is in a nutshell. From, from what we talked about in the, in the season of Lent to today, the way of the cross makes a way for us to find our way in life by making top priority the one thing, and that is Jesus. I want to share something personal this morning from my heart because I'm burdened a little bit by this right now. And that's that I think sometimes that we don't show the love of Jesus as believers. I sometimes think that we allow our own emotions to get the best of us. And we say things and we do things that aren't exactly loving. You know, regardless of who we are, where we've been, or where we are right now, each and every one of us and each and every one of the people that you come in contact with each and every day, including that coworker or that neighbor who drives you crazy, we were all created in the image of God. And those people who make us angry and test our patience were made in the image of God. Those people who tempt us to comment on social media and create these endless conversations that go absolutely nowhere were all created in the image of God. And one of the first ways that we can demonstrate love and that we've made that one thing a priority in our lives is through our actions and through our conversations. People need to hear about love and about the love of Jesus. People should see the light of Christ by the way that we treat others and by the way that we approach others. It all points back to our attention to that one thing, and that is Jesus. And so when we spend time growing in our relationship with him, it changes how we serve. It helps us determine his will in our lives and helps us to see where we need to spend time in his presence and in his word. And when he is part, when he is part of us, and when he is our number one priority, his love flows through us and dominates everything that we do. Our daily priorities are shaped around the one thing. Remember earlier we said that priorities help us to reduce indecision about where to dedicate our time. When Jesus is our priority, it helps to fill our lives with valuable things and not what makes us run in circles. And secondly, we said that priorities help us to structure our day in a meaningful way. You see, when Jesus is our priority, we want to we be more in his word and spend more time in prayer with him. It becomes top priority in the day-to-day to build our relationship 
with him. And thirdly, we said that priorities help us to easily say yes or no when we get requests from others. When Jesus is our priority, he helps us to know what is best and when to say yes and when to say no. So the challenge this morning is that we think about where we are right now in life and how how we need to set or reset our priorities in such a way that it all starts with the one thing, and that is Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these words that you've given us this morning. We thank you for the challenge that you've set in your word, that you've demonstrated through your word, that reminds us that there are days that we just need to sit at your feet, that we need to start with you and with a relationship with you in order to better understand how to to live according to your will and, and, and how to fit all of the rest in by making you priority. Lord, show us this week how that changes things. Show us how how we can mix things up if we just start with you and we stay aligned in your will. We follow your example. We see others differently. We see the, the path that is laid before us differently. And we can see the day-to-day routine in a whole different way just by making you our top priority. So Lord, I pray that for each of us this morning that we would remember these words, that we would remember this scripture, that it would go before us this week as we're challenged to make you number one in our lives. For it's in the mighty name of Jesus we pray. Amen.